I think as a community we have really moved to be able to, at least in our public discourse, we don't blame women anymore for their own experiences of family violence from an intimate partner. I'm not at all sure that we have evolved in that way yet in relation to adolescent family violence. The robust evidence that we have at this stage is international and that suggests that 80% of the violence is committed against mothers um, and it's committed by adolescent sons against mothers. So the gender lens it seems to us is really important to bring to bear on this adolescent family violence so we can start to understand what is it about those gendered patterns, what is it about what happens in families where violence has typically already been in play against the mother in that context when an adolescent starts to be violent as well. Male victims of family violence face really complex challenges and also face a real battle often to get access to services. And that's something we want to think about building the response to as well. We are, in our focus, however, really governed by what we know from the Victorian Big Pole Crime Statistics and from the Personal Safety Services, that the proportion of male victims is much, much less, and very often the violence they experience doesn't end in fatal violence. Women experience this violence and, at the rate of more than one a week, are in fact killed by their intimate partner across Australia, either their current partner or their ex-partner. Welcome to the Monash Arts Researchers Podcast. In this episode, we hear from Professor Jane Remar on a suite of investigative projects by the Monash Gender and Family Violence Research Team and their findings and policy recommendations towards new frameworks of family violence prevention. These projects are playing a key role in the implementation of the recommendations from the World First Royal Commission into family violence as tabled in Victorian Parliament in 2016. I have worked at Monash in the Centre for Women's Studies and Gender Research for a long time now, more than 15 years, and my work has always been focused on questions of gender and gender and mothering, I think, and then latterly questions of gender and women's safety. And of course, if you start to think about family violence, you see the connections in all of those spaces that gender inequality we know is a critical contributor to the likelihood of women experiencing family violence and more than 40% of women first experience family violence as a consequence of their pregnancy or becoming mothers so my area of interest is one that connects up a lot to this space of family violence and, and so that's work I've always done and I've had the opportunity more recently to work in this fantastic team of people. The, the other program lead for gender and family violence is um, Professor Jude McCulloch who's in criminology and Jude and I have worked together for a long time too. Before she came into academia she worked in community legal centres obviously working directly with victims of family violence there and she also worked a lot in early advocacy around refuges and a lot of work in terms of police violence in Victoria. So she has those areas of expertise as critical um, that she brings to the team. Kate Fitzgibbon, a graduate who we're very proud to claim 
from the Monash School of Social Sciences. Her work has been in um, intimate partner homicide, prevention, laws of provocation. I think the case that really pushed Kate's interest and was a critical focus in her PhD was the Ramage case, which was a case where a man uh, killed his wife with a significant amount of premeditation but was able to claim provocation and got a really reduced sentence for that reason. That led to a really significant law change in Victoria. Kate's work has been a critical part of that legislative change, not only here but across Australia, and she's really recognised internationally too. So we are the kind of core members of the Gender and Family Violence team, but we work with colleagues in criminology, for example, like Dr. Claire Spivakovsky, who was a chief investigator with me on the Women and Disability Project. On the Common Risk Assessment Framework, we worked also with Dr. James Roffey, who has significant expertise in the types of violence that are experienced within the LGBTIQA community and I think that's obviously one of those areas where there's a lot of work still to be done. We also work extensively with Associate Professor Marie Seagrave. I was lucky enough back in the day to be one of Marie's supervisors. Marie's expertise is really in migration and her current work in, in the context of family violence is how migration is contributing to potentials for risk and a lack of security for women who are experiencing family violence. So she recently released a really significant uh, report on temporary visas and migration and women's experiences of family violence and, she, and again she worked collaboratively there with one of the specialist family violence services in InTouch and I think that is a hallmark of the work that we do. We've all been around for a while. Our public work and our research work and our teaching work, all of it comes together really in this space around gender equality, around women's security, around recognising that different groups of women face different challenges and we need to start really talking and thinking about all of them in order to move safety forward. I'm not in any way, one of the things that we are quite interested in and a new appointee to our team, Dr Carla Elliott, has an expertise in masculinity because we do really recognise, and this has been the case for a long time, that male victims of family violence face really complex challenges and also face a real battle often to get access to services. And that's something we want to think about building a response to as well. We are, in our focus, however, really governed by what we know from the Victorian Big Pole Crime Statistics and from the Personal Safety Services, which is that this problem in the main is one that is experienced by women and their children, and that the proportion of male victims is much, much less, and very often the violence they experience doesn't end in fatal violence, which means that the statistics are not the same. So for us, our research is very governed in this early stage of really seeking long-term sustainable change at that 
broad bulk of the problem, which is the fact that women experience this violence and at the rate of more than one a week are in fact killed by their intimate partner across Australia, either their current partner or their ex-partner, which for us is a telling statistic and one that drives our work every day. Advent of the Royal Commission in Victoria in 2015, I think it was announced, and you know, with the, the outcome of the Batty Inquest, which preceded that, the establishment of the Royal Commission, but was a critical part of the reason the Royal Commission into family violence was generated. Monash Arts um, identified that they had a cluster of researchers who had done quite a lot of work on gender and family violence and it would be really important to bring them together and to make sure that we were able to contribute our work and our thinking in the best possible way to what is a really critical and unique moment I think in, in Victoria nationally but also internationally because it's actually not that common that there is such a strong political will backed up by resources and the sort of exhaustive investigation that was the Royal Commission. So we really began our work together as a team in early 2016. The Royal Commission courted on the 1st of April in that year and we were lucky enough to be given the work of the Common Risk Assessment Framework Review which was recommendation number one for the Royal Commission. So one of the critical things that has been happening in family violence over the last decade is that there has been, in Victoria, a risk assessment framework used. And what a risk assessment framework does is allows those working with women who are experiencing partner violence to ask a series of targeted questions with the objective of building knowledge about risk that that woman is facing, and very often that woman and her children are facing, it also often has the effect of assisting the woman to recognise the situation she's actually facing. So it's a really, risk assessment tools are used internationally. The Victorian one is a pretty good one and it had developed in Victoria around 2008-2009 and used in a range of contexts since that time. Specialist family violence, inside some hospitals but not others, inside some ancillary services and not others and a version of it called the L17 was used by the police. So what was recognised after the Batty Inquest and certainly through all the work of the Royal Commission was that very often there was information about risks that people were collecting and that people understood, but it wasn't being shared, it wasn't being effectively catalogued. And so in fact, the risk that was being identified was not properly mitigated. So. We undertook a project where we worked across the whole family violence sector in Victoria and we asked them about their experience of using that common risk assessment framework, which is called the CRAF. Um, we asked them whether their organisation used it, we asked them what the gaps and limitations were and we worked with them on generating a really significant report which responded to that first recommendation of the, the Family Violence Royal Commission. It was an amazing project for us really because the family violence sector has been 
working on the smell of an oily rag on this for decades and I think particularly the women's organisations have been doing this work since the 1970s, squeezed for funds, squeezed for resources and certainly squeezed for recognition and it's through their work that the problem of family violence has come to be recognised for what it is today and despite those many decades of work, they're still working really hard. So they came to the Craft Review, even though they had come to the Family Violence Royal Commission, and they shared their knowledge and insights so incredibly generously. In that process, we spoke to over 125 organisations working in family violence in one way or another, and we spoke to more than a thousand people through either surveys or focus groups. Um, so it was a really, meaningful process for us um, but one that was only successful because of those collaborative relationships. Um, our report was accepted and now the Victorian Government is going through with the changes to that risk assessment framework based on the Royal Commission, the Batty Inquest and also our review, so those three pillars which is really it's an unusual moment, I think, in an academic life when you get to be involved in policy that you feel so passionately about and to make a change in such a significant way, well, not, but to be part of change in such a significant way. So I think all of us in the team feel really um, privileged to have done that, privileged to have been a part of it. We're working on another um, Royal Commission recommendation. There were a series of recommendations around adolescent family violence. So as the community has developed a much better sense of family violence and how to respond to it, there's also a clear recognition that when we talk about family violence, we still really only know enough and maybe we don't even know enough yet, around intimate partner violence. We are not clear about what's happening in terms of adolescent family violence, in terms of elder abuse, in terms of a range of other sorts of family violence that we're not yet clear about. So one of the places that this was really identified by the Royal Commission, as I said, was adolescent family violence. And so, Kate Fitzgibbon and myself particularly have worked on this project over the last year. Been, we were lucky enough to get some internal fund, funding from Monash. And we also have worked partly in partnership with some colleagues in medicine around this work. So uh, those colleagues in medicine did some interviews with GPs. So that was really their focus. They wanted to have a look at primary health care and they and obviously one of the things we know about um, family violence of all sorts is that the general practitioner is often the person who gets the first information in terms of families about what's going on. So that's all sorts of family violence, but likely to be adolescent family violence as well. Um, and so that information will be rolled into our overall report. We've done focus group work with 50 people who provide services in terms of adolescent family violence across Victoria and we've asked them to talk about what they think adolescent family violence is, 
to talk about how they think service services are able to respond to adolescent family violence and of course to talk about the gaps in terms of adolescent family violence service response. We have been able to gather over 130 survey responses from people telling their stories of family violence as experienced in the context of adolescent family violence. Not surprisingly, given what we know, um, those stories have primarily come from mothers and they have talked about the violence of their children towards them. We are working through that data currently. Our plan is for a release of that data in April 2018. We also recognise that this is an area of family violence where there is a huge amount of complexity and a huge amount of shame. So I think as a community we have really moved to be able to, at least in our public discourse, we don't blame women anymore for their own experiences of family violence from an intimate partner. I'm not at all sure that we have evolved in that way yet in relation to adolescent family violence and in fact the experience of doing this research has been been in a lot of rooms where people really identify parents and mostly mothers as the problem in terms of the adolescent family violence context so for us with the gender lens on that's a really kind of interesting conundrum because we're looking at a society where mothers get blamed for a lot of stuff, <laughs> for making their children too fat, for making their children too skinny, for making their children work too hard at school, for making their children not work hard enough at school. We don't see dads getting blamed that much for any of that sort of stuff, although that sometimes happens. Um, we recognise that in context of adolescent family violence, when adolescents are committing violence, and they do so the robust evidence that we have at this stage is international and that suggests that 80% of the violence is committed against mothers um, and it's committed by adolescent sons against mothers. So the gender lens it seems to us is really important to bring to bear on this adolescent family violence so we can start to understand what is it about those gender patterns, what is it about what happens in families where violence has typically already been in play against the mother in that context when an adolescent starts to be violent as well. We're at the very early stages of starting to think about that. The Royal Commission certainly identified and we would say that this has been a pilot project too. We have also begun some preliminary work with the Commissioner for Children and Young People and we put out an early expression of interest to build a much bigger project around this work because we see what we've gathered here as some of the initial data that we need to start understanding what's going on. The important challenges we think are that we're going to need a new language to think about adolescent family violence, that we really understand that calling adolescents who commit violence perpetrators is maybe not the best way forward. We don't want to talk about young people in that way because one of the things that many of the stakeholders have reflected to us often quite sadly is that they 
obviously are likely to end up abusing their partners in the future, so we don't want to set in motion that train at this point. However, we do need to recognise that the women who are experiencing this violence from their sons and their daughters are very often already traumatised by violence they've experienced from their partners and we do need to not blame them. We need to start recognising them as victims of this violence and working out how we can respond to and support them. So we think there are a lot of practical challenges because there are not the sorts of services that are required. A critical finding from the research that we'll be talking about is there is no effective response for families so they very often call police as a matter of last resort and that doesn't always help. Um, there need to be places where young people can be given 24 to 48 hours probably to calm down, to be safe and for their families to be safe. We need to start thinking about ways of changing our response map but we're really very much in the early stages of that work. Um, I would say that internationally as well. So we've been doing quite a lot of work with um, Rachel Condry, who ran the big study in the United Kingdom, and we plan to develop our relationship with her and our work with her. Our work on adolescent family violence is a long-term project. For us, um, it's a great joy that Kate Fitzgibbon did her PhD on intimate partner homicide in Monash Criminology in the School of Social Sciences and in that is now really a leading national expert and such a critical member of our team. We have a really significant commitment to graduate students and to recognising the critical work that they do and we see this as a really significant area of opportunity. So we're about to appoint a PhD student to our Australia Research Council project on intimate partner homicides. And that person's gonna be having a look at death reviews in other countries in international contexts. So we can really be able to understand what it is that they have to tell us as a good way forward. Um, we are also um, looking at a number of other PhD opportunities that we have going forward in terms of particularly primary prevention, stories about news stories and family violence and the difference that they might make in that context. So in reality working in this context, working in the field of family violence, this is a critical opportunity. Um, I do feel like, as a senior academic, it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really make a difference and we have a lot of room to bring and build PhD students in and really encouraging, encourage people to get in contact with us, to have a look at our work, to think about what gaps and opportunities they can see and go forward from Continue on to part two of our interview with Professor Jane Remar to hear about the other investigative projects and recommendations by the Monash Gender and Family Violence Research Team.